Alright, alright, how you guys doing? A lot of time of worship before our services each week. But hey, I'm excited about this message, guys. I'm excited about that we're talking about revival. We talked about it last week if you weren't with us. Uh, we, we did it. An intro kind of to revival. And one of the things that we touched on is what is revival, right? So, can you guys go to that first slide for me? And cue it up. No, not that one. Next thing. There you go. What is revival? Um, just talking about this for a second. Let's answer that question again this week if you weren't with us. And to recap you on um, what we talked about last week, this is what it is. A revival is number one, an awakening from God, right? It's, a, it's an awakening of our hearts. It's an awakening of our minds, our spirits, our souls from God. And then number two, it's the Holy Spirit reviving our hearts, our lives, and our souls. So if we want, when we say like we want to see revival, we want to see um, we want to see revival in our city. We want to see it in our church. That that just means exactly that. We want to see an awakening from God, but then we also want to see a renewal or a reviving from God in our hearts and in our lives. And this was one of our main points last week that God's looking for humble hearts and not perfect people. That. When we strive for perfection or when we try to do everything right in order to achieve a state of, of maybe revival or what feels like spiritual perfection, that instead we are developing pride in ourselves. And the best thing to do is for us to admit that we can't do it on our own, that we all make mistakes, that we all have fallen short, and in turn produce humility throughout our lives. Those are the main things that we talked about last week. Now this week, we're going to talk about breaking down barriers of change. All right, so as I'm unpacking this idea of revival, I just want to give you a little glimpse into my mind because it's uh, maybe kind of like clickbait for a pastor or a preacher or a speaker to talk about revival. He's just like, oh, this guy's going to talk about revival again. But I shared this with uh, some of my youth leaders that were here that, uh, for our pre-service prayer that... Just a couple weeks ago, we were driving down, me and my wife, with our daughter, probably screaming right behind us in the car seat. She really hates that car seat. Unless she's asleep, and she loves it. But when she's not asleep, she's not with me in it. Okay, so we're driving down the street, and uh, looking around, I see people, you know, there's people that are going about their lives, doing their things. Some people at the gas station, other people driving to wherever. Some people, you know, if you pull out in front of them the wrong way, they get really mad. Some people don't like that you can't speed up fast enough. I just say, sorry, I don't drive a Tesla. Don't have zero to six in three seconds. But as we're doing this, I say to Jess, I'm like, I don't have, or I feel like I don't have, any sort of burden for like lost people. So we talked about being apprenticed to Jesus back in, in the fall. It was like one of the first few weeks that we had youth this year. And as we were talking about that, we talked about how Jesus wants us to be fishers of men, right? He wants us to go out and fish for people, to literally cast nets for people and just tell them about Jesus. He's like, just cast your nets and tell them about Jesus. And I can tell you that that's a good idea, that that's what God wants us to do, right? But in my own heart, I was kind of like, yeah, that's cool, but, but I'm just a church. I'm just going to do it at church. I'm just going to tell the people that are in front of me about it. I don't really want to like go find people to tell about Jesus because that's going to scare you. Don't like it. And I realized that I really don't have any sort of burden or sense of desire for change, for, for uh, other people to, to experience him. And so I started praying and I went, I went, I told my wife and then I started praying and I just, 
God, like, what, what would it look like if I actually cared about the community around us? What would it look like if I really wanted to see an experience change in other people, in, in other people that are my age, in other students, and, and what if I, I actually invited people to youth? What would that look like? Now, it took a couple of weeks because honestly, even in planning the sermon series, I didn't think about it at all. But then all of a sudden, I felt led to do the sermon series. I found this cool video that we just played and, you know, retro font on the thing and just like started going with it. And I, I started to feel something in my chest. I was like, wow, I like actually want to tell people about Jesus all of a sudden. And it came out of left field, like nowhere. Like, you know, I was like, I want to tell people about Jesus. Well, you see, as you walk with God, you go through different seasons of your life, right? The longer you walk with God, you might reach a state in your uh, journey with God that many people refer to as like the desert, right? It's like when you don't feel God. Anybody feel that ever in their lives? Yeah? I, I feel like it's really interesting because as you begin your relationship with God, it's easy. It's easy to experience God. And, and many of you students might even feel like you're in that spot, right? Where it's really easy to experience God in worship. You open your Bible and like everything speaks to you. And it's like, it's really, really cool because the Holy Spirit is always like impressing on your heart. But then all of a sudden you start to move into this, this season of spiritual maturity as you grow in your faith. Where it feels like a desert. It feels like a really dry place. It feels like, where is God and why can't I feel him with me? It's exactly how I, I was feeling especially in relation to sharing my faith with other people. And I just started praying, like, God, what does that look like to press in through that desert season as I try to grow and mature and become more like Jesus? And I realized that we can't always feel like God is super close because in a way, if he was always just right there and every second we didn't ever have to push in and like actually try to experience God and do anything from our side, we would never actually grow at all. So he challenged me with that. He's like, if you really want to reach people for me, then you have to push and get past that, that first wall that feels like there isn't anyone out there that wants to hear what you have to say about Jesus. Once you get past that first wall, you will notice that there's people all around you, not that are open to hearing about Jesus, but that want to hear about Jesus. So that is a barrier of change in reaching people for Jesus. The second one that I want to focus our talk on tonight, guys, is the barrier of offense. And when you say offense, you're kind of like, man, oftentimes my mind doesn't go there right away. We say, like, I'm offended, right? Another way of saying that is that you're carrying offense. Now, there's lots of different ways we can get offended, right? It could be that um, the person sitting next to you, in front of you, or around you, said that you were wearing a weird sweatshirt or the wrong color or that your shoes didn't match or your socks were wrong. Huh? You got offended. That can lead you to be feeling offended, right? But there's a lot of other ways to be getting into this, this place of starting to experience offense, right? And many times it's not something that we even notice is happening until it already has. But if we're going to overcome this idea, the spirit of offense, and we're going to push past it, we have to do it in humility. We have to be willing to forgive the people around us. Because this, 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 the defensive and divisive spirit of entitlement and ego that leads us to death and is so filled with 
This idea of offense and feeling negative things towards the other person is just going to wreck anything that we have going towards actually seeing change in our city or in our church or in our schools. So let's unpack this a little bit. And just this is just one of the points that I, that I did for those of you taking notes. The offense will kill every move of God. So we can focus on our... So, and there's a question. So can we focus on our real enemy and stop thinking... That it's a person standing before us, behind us, or alongside us. Because so often, we get distracted by this idea that, that the enemy is the other person in the room. I'll give you an example of this from my own life, okay? This idea of, of, of feeling offended. I had this really good friend in college. Like, really good friend, best friend, right? We actually started going to college at the exact same time. We were taking PSEO classes at the university downtown. So we'd ride the train back and forth, chat all the time, text back and forth. We would talk about girls because we were both in high school. And uh, he could never get a girlfriend at the time. I'm sure he does now, but couldn't at the time or didn't want to ask her out or something like that. And I had a girlfriend, but was... I don't know what we were talking about, guys. It doesn't matter. But we were talking all the time, okay? <laughs> just, just guy stuff. You get it. We're talking all the time. Texting back and forth. All this stuff. We were best friends, okay? So we decided we're going to be roommates in college. And this is, this is why whenever someone says, oh, I'm going to roommate with my best friend in college, I go, are you sure they're going to be your best friend after you're done roommating with them? So we were rooming together, and we, we started competing because we wanted to achieve the same thing. We both wanted to be um, like worship leaders at churches when we grew up, like grew up or graduated college, right? He's going for the same thing that I'm going for. And honestly, he was a lot better, is a lot better at music than I am. And I started to have this, this offended spirit creep into me. And it started to be like, oh, hey, like, yeah, you're, you're, he's a lot better, but I'm good too. And so instead of, instead of acknowledging how he was successful and God had gifted him, I started doing this instead. I started being like, he's not really that good. So he, he doesn't actually like practice or try and he's always late to everywhere he goes. So I'm better than that. I started to compare. You guys know that comparison just kills any relationship that you have with someone. Because the minute you can start to compare yourself to that person, whether it be in a good way or a bad way, whether it be like, a way that builds you up, like, oh, at least I'm not that bad. Or it's a way that tears you and them down when you say, like, at least I'm not that bad. <laughs> it just starts to kill the relationship. And so that spirit of offense started to come in until we basically started lying to each other. I remember one day, he actually borrowed my razor. And he used my razor, like, to shave your face, you know? And I was, like, not about it. I was like, bro, <laughs> that's just not something we share. It's like... I'll like give you some Cheez-Its, you can have a Pop-Tart, but like razor is kind of like a toothbrush to me. I'm just like, I do not need your face and my face. And at the time he was like shaving his chest and stuff too. And I was just like, dude, what are you gonna do? Shave your feet now too? Like, please just stop, okay? And so I, I confronted him. I just said like, hey dude, like why'd you use my razor? Like you didn't even ask, okay? I promise we're getting somewhere, don't worry. And he, he was like, I didn't use your razor. I said, well, first off, these hairs are really long. They did not come from my face. They definitely came from you. And secondly, secondly, why was it in your shower tub? 
She's a little tough to kick her back and forth to, to the dorm shower. And I, dude, I was so frustrated with him, and he just kept lying to me. You didn't use my user, you didn't. Work. Finally, it ended in a shouting match where we went back and forth, and we just yelled at each other. And I was like, I don't want you to use my stuff anymore. And he's like, all right, cool. And they just, he just walked away. We both have personalities that hate conflict. There's no conflict or resolution, we just hate it. So we create it, and then we live with it. And that spirit of offense kept coming back. So at a point in the relationship, I would say like, oh, I'm not available to, to play music on that day or whatever, so you should ask my buddy Caleb. And at a point in our relationship, like that point right there, I went, oh, I'm not available to play music that day, but you should ask my buddy Alex, because my buddy Caleb, uh, you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to ask him. So it created the spirit of offense in a relationship that I probably would have carried with me throughout my entire life has now been completely destroyed and pushed into the ground. And I wish I could say, hey guys, like I went and I apologized about the whole razor thing. It's really not that big a deal, like all that stuff, right? Nope, I did not. And it's kind of like too far gone now where I was texting him the other day, like actually apologizing and just chatting about life, like where he's at, what he's doing. Yeah, he didn't answer. Left me on red. That was a real bummer. But you see what happened is, instead of actually focusing on the fact that this friendship was really valuable for Jesus, because we would lead worship together. We would lead like prayer nights and worship nights, and we'd do stuff on campus together where we'd share the gospel with different people and go out and pray, and he would like play the guitar, and I would sing along with him, or I'd play the guitar, he'd sing, whatever. It was like, like God was using us in a way, right? And then, then, you know that guy, Satan, in the Bible that, that's just out there to kill, steal, and destroy? He did exactly that. He killed our relationship, destroyed any ministry that we would do together, and he stole all of our potential for a relationship in the future. And it was just like a really, it's a really nasty feeling when I think about it now. And it's actually a place in my life that I really do want to see restoration in someday. I want to be able to like call him on the phone and be like, hey dude, how you doing? And maybe we'll get to that point. Maybe this, this me telling you is, is you to say, hey, have you called Caleb yet? Have you, have you chatted with your buddy Alex again? Have you taken the time that it takes just to shoot a text again and just see maybe this time they answer? It's, it's, it's a repeating pattern if you don't get away from it. But let me give you a story in the Bible really quick about... Uh, a guy that experienced a lot of offense and actually came back from it. I'm hopeful that I can come back from this one too. But. So there's this guy named Joseph, right? You can find this story in Genesis 37 through 50. A guy named Joseph, you might know him as Joseph and the, with the coat of many colors, right? There's Joseph as Jesus' dad and there's Joseph in the Bible with the coat of many colors. So Joseph was his dad's favorite child. Never a good thing to be the favorite child because all your siblings hate you. Joseph was his dad's favorite child, and his dad gave him this coat, right? And it was the coolest coat around. It had so many different patterns and colors. It was just like the Gucci of the day, okay? The very best. The Gucci of that time, exactly. Now, his brothers were already not a fan of Joseph, but then Joseph had a dream, a dream from God that said that his brothers would bow down before him and that he would rule over them. Joseph's the youngest, he's gonna rule over all his brothers. How do you think that he, they felt about that? Not so good. So here's what Joseph's brothers do. They plot to kill him. And they said, okay, Joseph's out here, our dad is gone, 
We're the only guys around. None of us like him. So let's kill him. So they start going at him. And all of a sudden, one of his brothers speaks up and he says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this, this pit. He'll just hang out in the well. And then, you know, he, his brother was thinking he'd get him out later. You got to read the story for all the details, right? But they throw him in the pit. They don't kill him. And then all of a sudden, they decide to sell him. So they sell him into slavery and he goes to Egypt. He's in Egypt for a number of years serving. He works his way all the way up. So he's carrying this with him, his offense or his hatred toward his brothers because of what they did. He works his way all the way up into like the chief of the, it's like the chief of, chief of staff for today if you're up on your politics, right? So not the very top Pharaoh guy or the president of Egypt. It was his like top advisor or the person who like was next in line. And this guy's wife liked Joseph. Joseph, he considered himself a man of God, chased after the heart of God, and really wanted to do what was right. And so he said, no, 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 you're married. Like, like get away from me. Don't do that thing. All of a sudden, she just goes off and accuses him of, of screwing around with her. And so then this chief of staff throws Joseph down in the dungeon. He spent all this time working his way up through slavery to basically be a free person, and now he's back in jail. While he's in jail, he catches the attention of some different people because he interpreted dreams. And then he works his way up and he's in to Pharaoh's house after interpreting some amazing dreams that Pharaoh had. Similar to the ones that he had all the way back when he was a boy before his brothers had thrown him into this situation. And what happens is a famine rolls over all of Egypt and they, they have nothing to eat, nothing to drink. They're just not doing good. But Joseph had planned in advance because he had these dreams from the Lord. And he stored up grains and he stored up different foods so that they would be able to survive the famine. But his brothers didn't know about the famine that was going to happen. And so his brothers go to Egypt not knowing that Joseph is alive. And Joseph recognizes his brothers right away. But they don't recognize Joseph because in Egypt you would wear all sorts of makeup or you shave your heads. All this different stuff to like look the part. And while he's there, and he recognizes his brothers, he actually gives them food, sends them back home. They come back, he gives them more food. And then finally, he reveals who he is to them. And instead of saying like, I hate you guys, you're gonna be my slaves now too, he, he reveals who he is by forgiving them. He's saying, I don't hate you. I know all the stuff you've done to me allows me to hate you, but I just, I can't hate you any longer. And this is the opportunity that we have in front of us to kind of follow in his footsteps. We're a little bit behind, so we're going to skip one verse there. But we're going back to James here just for a second. In James 1, 19 through 21, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So I really like this, because I feel like this is what Joseph did when he ended up in the situation of being reunited with his brothers again. This is obviously written far after Joseph's lifetime. But he carried these morals really well. He was really slow to speak to his brothers. And he heard them out. He wanted to hear all about where they had gone and come from and what they were experiencing. Whether or not his dad was still alive. 
He was slow to speak because he was quick to listen, right? So the more you listen, the less you can speak. And then he was slow to become angry because he realized that as justified as his anger would have been in that situation, it wasn't going to do anything positive in his life. It wasn't going to make right what had already happened because he realized that through all of the stuff that he was put through, all of the offense, all of the frustration, all of the anger, all of the hate, God had a redemptive plan over the entirety of, of the Middle East, like basically Israel, Egypt, and the surrounding countries because Joseph had stored up all of that food for this famine that was coming. So here's, here's my call to you guys as we grow into this idea of working through our offenses with each other. It's to guard our hearts, protect our ears, put a shield around our tongue, to choose only to speak love to the people around, and when we talk to ourselves around the people around us. Because all too often, dude, I'm really not, I'm really not going to like, just call you out. That's not the first thing I'm going to do. I'm not going to first say like, oh, you're just not my vibe. Or the first thing I, I did was not say like, I hate you for using my razor, right? It wasn't the case. I wanted to, right? But it builds up to that, right? And instead of being slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry over this relationship that I had, Instead of that, I allowed it to build and to fester over time because I would continue to speak negative thoughts about this individual in my head. And I catch myself doing that even now. And it's really easy. I'm sure that you do too. Whether it be your mom that nags you to do something or a sibling that nags you or a friend that you don't really like that much and you just allow them to live in your head rent-free. And it's just little things, little nags, little things, right? It's always just little things like, oh, I hate it when you do that. If you've ever had uh, a problem with like using foul language, it's the same way it starts, right? You start to say it in your head. You start it in your head, you type it out, you say it in your head, you write it in a journal, and then all of a sudden it just starts coming out of your mouth. It's the same exact way. Because you allow that seed to take root in your life, and then all of a sudden it starts to produce its fruit, and whether its fruit is good or bad, it doesn't matter because you've already planted it. So how can we uproot those seeds in our lives? The seeds of offense. So that the fruit that comes out of our lives isn't hate, anger, frustration, but instead it's love, joy, and peace. We gotta ask God. We gotta be willing to be on our knees and be humble with each other, be humble with God and say, yo, I can't do this alone. I need help. I need Jesus, right? So Elliot's going to come up here. She's going to play a song on the piano here. And we're going to have a few minutes to just reflect. We're going to be reflecting on this idea of offense. I know a lot of you have felt offended. Some of you may have even felt offended from myself or your youth leader or another youth leader. And that's okay to feel that, right? It's, it's okay. It happens. Like, you can get offended. I get offended. But it's not okay to let that take root in your life. We gotta, we gotta spit that stuff out. And I'm struggling with it, guys. There's some stuff in my life, like this situation that I just mentioned, that I'm really struggling with. It's hard to get it out. It's hard to like uproot something that's planted and grown in your life. 
positive and negative. So like, let's plant the positive seeds, right? So that they can grow. We don't have to mess with all this negative stuff all the time. But those seeds of offense that begin to take root in our lives, we need to identify them and we need the help of God to do so. So as Elliot's playing this song, we just need to take a moment. We need to just pray. We need to ask God. We need to get on our knees and be humble and be willing to say like, what's, what's rooted in my life, God, that shouldn't be there? What emotion towards my family, towards my parents, towards my siblings, towards my friends, towards my teachers, what's rooted in my life that can't be there anymore if I'm going to succeed in following Jesus? Because right now, we were kind of all on the same page last week, right? All on the same page, like, like let's go change our river for Jesus. Reach our surrounding communities. Woo-hoo. Good stuff, right? But we got to do this first. This is the hard part. Because right now, I'm telling you, if, if, you, if we try to do any of that, like, what, what's that? You know how that people say, like, I don't want to go to church because all those people just fake. This is part of the reason why people think that church goers are fake. It's because we get offended. And we let our offense take us to a different church or take us away from Jesus or make us not want to read our Bible. So I'm just going to pray really quick as, as Elliot gets started here. And just, just, just take the time of the song. You can sing along if you want to. But take the time of the song to, to really ask God, what, what is in my life that can't be there no more? I want to reach my friends, my school. I want to see things different. What's in my life that I got to get rid of? Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place. And we ask for Holy Spirit revelation into our lives. That we would be able to see deep down into our souls. That we would be able to see the things that have planted themselves. The different areas that we need to trust you with. That we need to get rid of. So we just ask right now to be a breakthrough from offense. That we could get rid of the different things that are keeping us from being like you. Amen.